Bible Baptist Church, we are honored to spend this week with you, and uh, it is a great privilege to be a part of your missionary family representing you in Senegal. And we're excited to see what the Lord is doing here in St. Thomas, and uh, excited to share with you this week some of what the Lord is doing in Senegal. And uh, we look forward to spending a little bit of time with you online and by other means. And so please stay in touch, ask questions, and uh, be praying for the rest of this week as we seek the Lord's will in fulfilling his mission. We're going to be looking at John chapter 8 this morning. John chapter 8. I love the teachings of Jesus. Jesus is teaching in the temple, and really some of the greatest passages in Scripture are in the middle of the Gospel of John, where Jesus is teaching in the temple. What's wonderful about the teachings of Jesus is that he was more than a teacher. Jesus was more than a messenger of God. Jesus is the message. Jesus wasn't just teaching a way of life. Jesus taught that he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. In fact, one of the greatest commentaries in the New Testament from an unsaved individual concerning Jesus, I think is in John chapter 7, where they sent soldiers to arrest Jesus in the temple. And when they went to him, they came back empty-handed, and the Pharisees asked, where is Jesus? Why didn't you arrest him? And they responded by saying, never man spake like this man. Nobody ever taught like Jesus taught. Jesus is teaching during the festivals and during the feast times of Israel. And what Jesus is teaching during these temple teaching is that he's more than just a celebration of what God is going to do, but that he's the fulfillment of these temple festivals, uh, the Passover. During the Passover, Jesus taught that he was the bread of life, that he's the Lamb of God. And unless you drink his blood and eat his flesh, you'll have no part of him. What Jesus was teaching was, I am the only way to God. You must come to God by me. And in, during his temple teaching, Jesus is making claims, teaching truth, that went against so much of what the Pharisees and the scribes were teaching. The Pharisees and the scribes opposed Jesus at every turn. And they would try everything they could to try to stop Jesus. They tried to arrest him. And when that failed during his temple teaching, they turned to chapter 8. We find really a despicable tactic that the Pharisees turned to in order to try to bring down Jesus. In chapter 8, Jesus enters into the temple early in the morning, verse number 2. And he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses and the law commanded us that she should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard him not. I would say apart from the passion of Christ, apart from the crucifixion, the betrayal, uh, that week where Jesus died for our sins, apart from that uh, time in Jesus' life, this is really one of the most emotionally charged, intense moments that we find in the New Testament. 
I mean, imagine it. Here Jesus just sat down to continue his teaching. And as he's teaching, they drag this woman out in front of Jesus, in front of the crowd. She's crying and trembling. They cast her and parade her in front of everybody. And in her shame, they throw her in front of Jesus and accuse her of this, this sin that they had just caught her in. We just caught this woman, Jesus. We caught her in the very act. Now, the law says that she should be stoned, but what do you say? The reason they're bringing this to Jesus is because Jesus taught a message of grace and mercy. Jesus taught and invited all sinners alike to come to him. In fact, in chapter 7, Jesus taught this in verse 37, In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me. And drink. Jesus is inviting all to come to him. Jesus is not just inviting them to come and attach themselves to a religious system. He's not just calling them to become more strict in their adherence to the law. Jesus is inviting everyone to himself. It is a call to discipleship. A call to himself. The Pharisees oppose this message. And yet in their frustration of seeking to attack him. They concoct this plan to try to bring down Jesus. If you, Jesus, are so full of grace and truth, what are you going to do about this? How is Jesus in this situation with this woman caught in the act, guilty, how is Jesus going to respond? How will Jesus both at the same time show mercy to this woman and yet at the same time keep the law? How is Jesus going to show grace and mercy and love without contradicting the law? Jesus says in verse 12, after this episode takes place, he cries and says again unto them, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Okay, Jesus. If you are the light of the world, if you are the answer, if you are calling all men to come to you and drink, and what Jesus is saying, if you are left unsatisfied, if you are left unsatisfied with the religious system that you are in, if the teaching of the religious elite and the Pharisees have left you empty, come to me. If you are burdened and wearied with the religious system that you are trying to keep, with whatever it might be in your life, if you are burdened, if you are wearied, if there is a craving in you left unfulfilled, if you spend your day after day fulfilling the burden of the law, keeping it as sincerely as possible, and yet at the end of the day, you lay your head down on the pillow and you know that there's something missing. Jesus says, come to me. This was a message that the Pharisees could never preach. They could never preach. Jesus is inviting them to come to him, the light of the world. To bring true satisfaction. So Jesus, if you alone are the answer, if you offer something different, what are you going to do with this woman? And the question is, will Jesus respond differently? How is Jesus going to show mercy to this woman while at the same time keeping the law? Jesus told his disciples, if you go back and read John chapter 4, he told his disciples after he met with the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, 
And she went back into the village. They came and offered him some food. Jesus refused to eat, and they asked him, what, what's wrong, Jesus? Did somebody already give you food? What do you need? And Jesus said, my food, my meat, is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. You see, if we are going to accomplish what God has called us to do, we must seek to finish the work that Jesus came to do. And Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. But if we're going to finish the work, if we're going to accomplish the mission that Jesus has committed to us, that Jesus himself has commissioned to us, the church, then we must first be consumed with a passion to do the will of God. And here's what Jesus said the will of God is. The will of God is to believe on him whom God has sent. It is to de develop and cultivate a relationship and a personal walk with Jesus Christ. Jesus calls us to himself. And the disciple of Christ will be one who seeks truth. But it's more than just truth. You're seeking to know the truth. You see, being a disciple is a discipline of living. Jesus says, come to me. If you're craving something more, if you're thirsty, come to me. And he says, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. In John 7, 38, he that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, and this is so important, for understanding the ministry of Jesus. Jesus wasn't just a messenger. He is the message. The Bible says in the beginning was the word, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is the word of God. And yet everything Jesus did in his life was in fulfillment of the scriptures, in a fulfillment of accomplishing the will of God as it was revealed by the holy prophets in the scriptures. And Jesus said, your faith in me is a faith that is built on the scriptures. I know there are some preachers today that try to convince us that we need to unhitch from the Old Testament. What Jesus is saying is, no, I am fulfilling all of that the Old Testament prophesied of me. That's what all the temple messages were about. That's why Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. I'm the true manna come down from heaven. I am the Passover lamb. I am the light of the world. If any man thirsts, let him come unto me. As the scripture saith, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. In other words, what Jesus is saying is if we are going to fulfill the mission, we must seek to accomplish and fulfill and know the will of God. And in order to know the will of God, we must be an active disciple of Jesus Christ. Not just praying that God would consume us with a passion for him, but Jesus is actually calling us to consume him. That when you consume Christ, when you put your total confidence and faith in Jesus Christ, a new life begins. Faith that is built on the promises of Scripture that Jesus accomplished. Now, as we seek to fulfill mission, as we seek to cultivate our relationship with Jesus Christ, and as we seek to become more sincere, deliberate disciples of Jesus, you will face opposition. I remember in Senegal speaking with our pastor Malik Job, speaking with his father, who was a first-generation Christian. When he became a believer, uh, once his family found out, and he was just living in a single room in his grandmother's house, he had five children. Our current pastor in Senegal was one of the children, and they were just living in a one room. 
They had to flee the country they were living in because of a war. They left with just the clothes on their back. He came to San Luis Senegal, where he was originally from. And uh, because he had no work, he made contact with the missionaries who were there. Began studying and reading all of the Christian literature that was in the library. Began reading the Bible and became convinced that Jesus was the truth. He put his faith in Jesus. And as soon as his family found out, they had a meeting. And they gave him an ultimatum. They said, you either come back to Islam or you're out of the house. And that night he made his decision. And they took all of his luggage that he had. They put it out in the street. They closed the door. And they told him, you're no longer welcome in our home. And this is a pattern we see whenever somebody in a country like Senegal makes a decision to follow Jesus. And one of the things that this gentleman told me as we were beginning our church plant, he said, you'll get a lot of people coming, asking for help, and some even claiming to be Christian, and they're not. And he said, one gauge of trying to understand whether somebody in this country and in this context is a true believer or not is ask them their testimony and ask them how their family feels about their decision to follow Jesus. In other words, he told me, when you decide to follow Jesus in this country, you will face one form of persecution or another. And Paul said this, uh, Peter said this, all who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. When you decide that I am going to be a serious follower of Jesus, I am going to consume Christ, I am going to be consumed by a passion to pursue him and to know him and to do his will and to fulfill the work that he has tasked me as an individual believer in him. This mission that he has tasked me to fulfill, when you become serious about this, you will face one form of opposition or another. Jesus faced opposition from the Pharisees from day one. And the opposition that Jesus faced from the Pharisees was primarily because he claimed to not just be the messenger, but the message of God. The Bible says in the last days in Hebrews 1 that God has spoken unto us by his Son, by whom he made the world. Jesus was claiming not just to show the way to God, but to, to be the way. He said, I am the cure to your sickness. When I need water, when I'm thirsty and dehydrated, I don't need a critic to explain to me that I'm dehydrated and what my problem is. We live in a desert area in Senegal, it's North Africa, and uh, we've had some situations where we went out into a village, forgot to bring water, and you get thirsty real quick when it's 120 degrees. Now, when I'm dehydrated, I don't need a critic to tell me what my problem is. I don't even necessarily need a doctor to explain to me that I'm dehydrated, and I certainly don't need a scientist to tell me the process my body's going through. I simply need water. Jesus said, I am that water. Come to me. And the Pharisees hated this message. You see, the scripture doesn't just show me how to get life. The scripture tells me I need Jesus. The scripture tells me why I need Jesus. The scripture tells me what Jesus had to do. His death on the cross, his burial, his resurrection, what he had to do in order to offer me life. But only Jesus is the one who can give life. That's why he says, come to me and drink. The Bible tells us in John chapter 7, there was a division among the people as a result of the interpretation and application of the fulfillment of these festivals that Jesus is preaching on. Many believed, some rejected, and the religious leaders are pursuing Jesus, seeking means to stop him. And when you begin to follow Jesus in all sincerity and seriousness, you'll face persecution. 
Because the claims of Jesus, they go beyond what any mere human can claim. Sometimes working in the country we work in, I'll have our, our Muslim friends will say, just show me one time in the Bible where Jesus claimed to be God and I'll believe it. And I tell them, where do I begin? Jesus had to almost go out of his way to explain he wasn't, he was a man. Jesus is 100% God, 100% man. And as you study the life of Jesus, he made such outlandish divine claims. Claims to deity that if they are true, implied that he is the source of life and only by faith in him can we have eternal life. In other words, the teaching of Jesus was contrary to what the Pharisees were teaching. The Pharisees set themselves up as lights and guides to Israel. The Pharisees had set themselves up as some sort of hierarchical system where they were the elite above the people who not only were the ones determining what the law said, but they had also set themselves up as the one who would determine how the law was to be practiced. And they added hundreds and hundreds of, uh, of laws and commandments according to their own thinking. Called, Jesus called it the doctrines of men or the traditions of the elders. These were added to the scriptures in order to try to keep what they thought would give them eternal life. And Jesus told them in John chapter 5, you search the scriptures. You're trying to obey a law when there's no law that can make you righteous. Jesus is saying, you're missing the point. John chapter 5 said, you search the scriptures because in them you think you have eternal life, but these are they which testify of me. You read the Bible all you want, but if you don't have Jesus, it profits you nothing. You see, the Pharisees hated the teaching of Jesus because Jesus said, I am the answer to all of your problems. I'm the answer to your sin. I'm the answer to your self-righteousness. I am the only way to God. Jesus' message went against everything that the Pharisees taught. His message meant that they were wrong. His message was contrary to their message and their teaching Yet at the same time, Jesus' teaching never contradicted the law. And this frustrated them. The fact that Jesus was totally against their teaching. His sharpest rebukes were directed toward the Pharisees and the religious leaders. Yet at the same time, nothing Jesus ever taught was contrary to the law. And this challenge to their authority and his authoritative teaching frustrated their entire existence. This is why there is such opposition. And you need to understand, when, when you face opposition, when you face persecution, whatever form it might come in, and we really, do, I mean, objectively and honestly, we really haven't faced real persecution in these nations yet, either America, Canada. And maybe the days are coming when we'll see an intensification of opposition and persecution. But it's important to understand that this persecution is directed toward Jesus. And Jesus has called us to be light. Jesus has called us to shine the light of the gospel. This is our primary objective. A disciple of Jesus Christ will not walk in darkness. A disciple of Jesus Christ will be able to fulfill mission no matter what the society is dictating is right or wrong. A disciple of Jesus Christ must be faithful to the word of God and faithful to Jesus Christ. And the Pharisees' power and authority are put in check and motivated by jealousy. They make these outrageous attacks against him. In today's world, 
you're going to see an increasing intolerance and rejection. In today's world, we have those who are calling for religious tolerance and social tolerance. But the very fact is, most in leadership calling for this type of tolerance, they're simply looking to retain their own power, their own control. We have in our society in the West, especially those who are seeking to redefine reality based on doctrines of men, not seeking, really not looking for tolerance at all. They're looking for conformity and total acceptance of their way of doing things. And the Christian is called to follow Jesus no matter what. And here's the thing. How does a Christian respond to this type of attack? How does a Christian respond to this type of opposition? Because when we come to chapter 8, Jesus is dealing with the Pharisees' opposition at every turn. And at every turn, he shut them down. And so now they turn to this despicable tactic. How are we going to respond? They bring this woman before him. Cast this woman at Jesus' feet. They say, according to the light of the law, this woman should be stoned. But you're claiming to be the water of life. You're claiming to have this way of truth. You're claiming in your message to offer something superior to what even the law says. And so Jesus, what are you going to do about this open, blatant case? In the light of the law, what will happen? And so Jesus reveals to us in this passage how we are to fulfill mission in our fellowship of Jesus Christ. He says, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Later, he tells his disciples in chapter 31 of John 8, Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. You see, what the Pharisees failed to understand when they brought this woman before Jesus, who was taken in this open sin, this egregious sin, what they failed to realize is that they were under the same bondage of sin. And Jesus tells even those disciples that decided to follow him that day, he said, if you will follow me, and if you continue in my word, then you'll be my disciples indeed, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. And they answered him and said, what do you mean, Jesus? We're not in bondage. We're children of Abraham. Why do you say ye shall be made free? Verse 34, Jesus reveals to us our true nature. He reveals to us why the law can't save. Why we can't save ourselves. Why we need him. He says to these disciples, Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. You live your whole life trying to keep the law as perfectly as you can. You can live your whole life and let's say you only commit one sin your entire life. You say, well, would God send me to hell for that? Be yes, absolutely. Why? Because we are born with a nature that is separated from God. God is holy. And sin cannot even for a millisecond be permitted in his holy presence. If God is not holy, then God is not good. You see... The law is an outward righteousness. You can keep the whole law your whole life, and yet it's still an outward righteousness. It hasn't changed your nature. We are born 
with a nature that is incompatible with God's nature. My nature is a sin nature. My nature is separated from God. And it doesn't matter if I keep the law, the letter of the law as best I can and keep religious practice the best I can. It's still not my own righteousness. And it still hasn't changed me. I need something that will change my very nature. That's why Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. You need a radical changing. And the only way you can be born again and receive a new nature a righteous nature is by faith in Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus in his message was a call to come to him. Jesus has called us to take that same message into all the world. See, Jesus has not given us a religious structure or a religious system to replicate. That's not what we do as missionaries. We don't go to set up an American or Canadian-style church in synagogue. We go with one message, and that message is we are sinners, and Jesus died on the cross to give us a new nature and give us new life. And if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you can be born again and enjoy eternal life because God loves you. That's the message. Jesus said if you're going to find that message, if you're going to understand that, if you're going to be free from the bondage of sin, he said, if the Son makes you free, ye shall be free indeed. That is the bottom line problem. Whether you're the Pharisee, the self-righteous Pharisee bringing this woman openly caught in adultery, wherever you stand today, whether you are a sinner and you know it, or you're a self-righteous sinner and you deny it, we are in the same boat. We are all in bondage to sin. And Jesus said, I alone and the answer that can free you from those chains. Jesus broke the chains of this bondage. And when we continue in his word, we will find victory, we will find fulfillment, and we as believers, as we continue in his word, will be able to take the teachings of Jesus and apply it to our lives that we might not only know the will of God, but fulfill the mission that he has given us to fulfill by taking the gospel to every creature. People oftentimes ask and say, I just, I don't know how to, how to share the gospel very well. I'm not a very good speaker. That doesn't matter. When you are continuing in the word, when you are a follower of Jesus, Jesus said, when you drink from me, when you consume me, out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. When you have a real walk with Jesus, when you are sincerely following and seeking Jesus, you can't help but get it out there. You can't contain the light and love of God that will develop and cultivate in your heart. Jesus said, if you continue in my word. How do we continue? Very quickly, Jesus says, we must respond to the call of Jesus. Respond to the call of Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus calls us to himself. Jesus says, follow me. Drink from me. Jesus says, come unto me. I remember in Capernaum when I took my first trip to Israel, we went to uh, the area where they think Peter might have grown up and lived in. And there was an open area where our guide explained the rabbi would meet underneath trees and they would teach there. And then people coming to the market nearby would also go and browse which rabbi they enjoyed listening to. And you would choose a rabbi as kind of your spiritual guide. So I'd imagine those rabbis setting up under the tree would try to do the best they could to present the gospel and, or present the, you know, their teaching and their style and try to attract uh, different people to follow them. And, 
Jesus was different, though. As I'm standing there, I'm overlooking, I see Galilee off in the distance. And I realized that Jesus never stood under a tree waiting for people to come to him. He sought out his disciples. He sought out Peter. He went to Peter where he was, and he called him to himself. He went to Peter and John and James, and he said, follow me. Jesus is seeking you out. Jesus is seeking you and calling you to himself to follow him. Respond to the call of Jesus. We must secondly, as we continue in his word, in order to know the will of God and fulfill mission that he's given us, we must receive the illumination of the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us that we must be born again of the spirit. Jesus said they that worship God must worship him in spirit and truth. When you receive Jesus, the living water, Jesus tells us that there will be a wellspring of, of life flowing from within you. In John 7, 39, he said, This he spake of the Spirit, which they which believe on him should receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. When he was in the upper room with the disciples, Thomas said, Jesus, if you just show us the Father, then we will know and understand your will. And Jesus said, how long have I been with you, Thomas? Have you not understood my teaching? He that has seen me has seen the Father. Now that word seen is more than just physical sight. In fact, in John chapter 6, Jesus tells the, the disciples and the Pharisees, what if you see visibly the Son of Man ascend up to heaven? It's the Spirit that gives life. And my words are life and Spirit and truth. They must be received by faith. And when you receive by faith, the words of Jesus continuing in his word, the Holy Spirit will illuminate your mind to understand the teachings of Jesus, to give you perception. When Jesus said, if you have seen me, that Greek word has the idea of perception. It's more than just physically viewing something. It's an understanding, a comprehension. And what Jesus is saying is you cannot comprehend God unless you comprehend me because Jesus is God. And if you have seen or perceived and know and believe Jesus, you know God. And you know and can have assurance of eternal life. How do we continue in the word? As we grow in the illumination of the spirit, we must also research the word. We must be constantly seeking, asking, knocking. This is what I love about the teaching of Jesus. Jesus never turned away a question. One of the things that draws people to our ministry in Senegal is we are open to questions. We have nights where we just do question and answers. They don't do that in a lot of other religions. They don't open it up to a Q&A time, okay? Uh, Jesus said, ask, seek, knock. The Bible tells us we're to inquire diligently, we're to seek diligently, we're to make investigation. James says we are to receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your soul. I love that word meek. It has the idea of power under control, but it's even more than that. In the New Testament era, that word was used to describe the process of taming a horse. You would meek a horse. And what James is telling us is when you receive the word, you are meeking yourself to the word. In other words, when you tame a horse, you're taking all of that power and the will of that horse and bringing it into subjection to your own will so that it can be used to benefit not only itself but yourself. And what God is saying is receive with meekness. Submit yourselves to the word. And this is a lifelong process. See, discipleship and receiving Jesus it's a lifelong process. When you're saved, you're saved once. 
You're saved forever. When you receive Jesus, that's it, you're done. But that's just the beginning of a growth in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. That's just the launching point. Jesus has called us to continue in his word, to research the word. And as you respond to the call of Jesus on a daily basis, and as you receive the illumination of the Holy Spirit, seeking the Spirit to give you understanding as you search the Scriptures, and as you research the Scriptures and search the Scriptures, God says you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. And as you grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be given the grace to fulfill the mission that Jesus has called us to fulfill. That's our job, to take Jesus to the world. And only as we walk with Jesus will we know how to respond to the mess this world is in. See, this situation in, in, in John 8, in this context of Jesus' teaching about being the light of the world, it's within that context that this is taking place in the temple. How is Jesus going to respond? What are you going to do, Jesus, with this woman who is obviously guilty? How do we respond with all the craziness that's going on in the world right now? How is a Christian supposed to respond in a right way? You simply follow Jesus. You let the life of Christ shine through you. And here Jesus responds. They bring this woman. I mean, imagine the emotion of this moment. Out of a corridor, they pull her. This timid, petite woman, trembling, crying caught in her guilt, caught in her shame, being paraded around publicly in order to try to bring Jesus down. She's caught in adultery. She has no defense. She's guilty. You and I are guilty. Before the law, we have no defense. We are in equal standing with this woman. She has no defense. She's caught in the act. So to whom or to what shall she appeal for mercy? Can she appeal to the law? According to the letter of the law, the Bible says that one must be stoned. Who's caught in this? What about the light of the religious system? The corruption is deep. The Pharisees are seeking to bring down Jesus. And in doing so, they use this woman as a pawn in their scheme. The unequal application of the law is already taking place. She's caught in adultery, but where's the man? Nobody in this situation is interested in justice or the law being served. They're only interested in bringing down Jesus. And so here she is brought without a defense. She knows her guilt. But what's more, not only is she caught in her guilt and in her shame, but she's being paraded around as a public attack on Jesus. And this is the cruelty of religion. She is at the same time both a victim and guilty. She is the victim of a scandal and at the same time, she's a sinner. She's being abused and betrayed, and yet at the same time, she is guilty and deserves exactly what she is getting according to the law. And this is where we stand. This is the bondage of sin. We are both victims of sin, and yet we're, we are guilty of sin. We have been deceived by sin, and yet we chose to walk right into it. We stand in the same place where this woman stands, every single one of us. And these Pharisees and their self-righteousness and what Jesus is about to do is expose that you are in the same boat. 
just because you don't have somebody going around trying to expose you and your sin, just because you've done a better job at covering it up with your religious practices, just because you've done a better job covering it up doesn't mean that you are in any different position before God than this woman. So according to the law, according to the light of the religious system, this woman has no answer. She has no hope. Religion cannot help her. The law will not help her. How will Jesus be different? Think of the corruption with these religious leaders. I'm reading into it a little bit maybe, but where is the guy? I imagine that possibly, possibly this was something that was known. This relationship was already known maybe by some of their leaders. And so they orchestrated with the guy and said, look, if you can set this up in the middle of the day, we'll catch you, we'll let you go. And this guy betrays this woman turns her over, he gets to go free, and they use her and trap her. It's no coincidence that they're caught in this act a day after the arrest temp of Jesus fails. And in all the yelling and the screaming and in the crying as the crowd hushes, as everybody's standing there in this intense moment, how will Jesus respond? He pauses. He stoops down and he begins to write in the sand. And when he stands up, he appeals to the light of their conscience. But even that is not enough to bring them to salvation. You know the story. He says, you who are without sin, be the first to cast a stone. But even the light of conscience is not sufficient to answer this dilemma. He exposes them. He says, I see your heart. You're just as much a sinner as she is. If you're sinless, cast the first stone. Now, the only one there who legitimately could have cast the first stone was Jesus. How is Jesus going to respond? How will Jesus show mercy? The light of conscience, it works to get her accusers off her back, but they walk away. They walk away from Jesus. This just boggles my mind. That Jesus, not only did he... Did he overturn their attempt to attack him, but he exposes them in their sin after having invited them to come to him, and they still walk away from him. They walk away from the only one who can answer this dilemma. If I'm just as much a sinner as this woman that we just brought in this open sin, what is my hope? I, who am a religious elite leader, but they walk away from Jesus. Only Jesus, the light of the world, can stoop to this level of this woman. And in her scandal, and in her sin, and in her guilt, and in her shame, and in her abuse, he gently whispers, where are your accusers? Who condemns you? The woman says, no one, Lord. Jesus says, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. See, Jesus and that statement is calling her to himself because immediately after he begins to teach, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. He calls this woman to himself. And that is the answer. Because Jesus fulfilled the law in that he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He fulfilled the law. He lived a life that I could not live and he died a death that I deserved. 
And he offers me his righteousness and he gives me his love. I didn't earn it. I don't deserve it. And yet he stooped to my level. Only Jesus can stoop to my level in my sin and my guilt and my shame and call me to himself and forgive my sins and give me freedom and bondage to walk in the light of liberty. And he calls you today to himself. I don't know where you're at today. Whether you're a believer, an unbeliever, I don't know if you've gone away from the Lord. Maybe you decided to tune in this morning. You've had your time in church and you were never satisfied. You just didn't get it. You didn't understand it then. And so you went out into the world and you lived your life the way you wanted to. And yet at the end of the day, the world left you empty and confused. Look, you didn't have Jesus in the world. The reason you weren't satisfied in the church is because you didn't have Jesus in the church. It's not about the church. It's not about where you're at. It's about Jesus. Whether you're in the church or out of the church, where you are, you must have Jesus. And Jesus calls you to follow him. And if you'll follow Christ today, if you'll heed his word and respond to his call, follow me, you'll find every answer you're looking for. If you're a believer today, may you respond with determination to continue in the word, to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. May we today renew ourselves not just to fulfill the mission that God's given us, but renew ourselves anew to being disciples of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for your word and the example of how you responded with grace, love, and mercy to this woman. And may we, Lord, as well, respond to your call. May we as well be lights to this world as we shine the light of Christ. Thank you, Lord, for saving us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.